Let's go ahead and start with prayer, and then we'll do your practical question. Okay. O heavenly King, the comfort of the Spirit of Truth, for our presence, who fill us all things, treasure your blessings, and giver of life. Come and abide in us, and cleanse us from every impurity, and save our souls, a good one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What was your question? This is just for making no, purposes. Is this class technically called catechumen class? Catechism class? This is called a catechism class. You are a catechumen in the catechumenate. <laughs> I'm trying to use all the words or variation of catechism. Catechism class. Yes. You so yeah. Catechesis is the action of being catechized as a catechumen. As a catechumen. As a Is that clear as mud? Clear as an English class as well. There you go. Any other practical questions? Because no question is really silly or dumb. <laughs> Honestly, if you have one, I bet somebody else has it too. Yeah. If we're having trouble finding out, figuring out who to ask to be like our uh, sponsor, is is it something that we should, like if, if we're having trouble connecting with people to like wait until later? We, we have a few weeks, yeah, so it can be a goal, mm -hmm. or you get some chicken bones. And then you <laughs> talk to me, and I can just find somebody. So there, there's a little bit of a, I'll say active debate, and that's probably even elevating it beyond what it really is. <clears throat> uh, there are, you all are adults, right? You know what you're doing, right? Sponsors in the ancient church were those who would vouch for your way of life. Let's say you used to be a tavern owner, and a tavern in late antiquity meant that you were um, a house of ill repute. <laughs> so a priest, canonically, was not allowed to go into a tavern, or I could be deposed if I was in the 5th century and wandered into a tavern, because, come on, uh, that doesn't look very good. Uh, so... There are, there was, uh, the sponsor basically played the role of vouching for the person. I mean, you got to think, second, third century, what's going on in second, third century? That doesn't happen until before Constantine, right? You need a, you need a copy of it. Okay. What's going on in second, third century? Persecuted and killed. Persecuted and killed. So anybody who just comes off the street, are you going to be like, yeah, you're like, Wait a second. <laughs> Deacons used to guard the doors, literally guard the doors. Because uh, when we say the prayer, you know, uh, I believe, O Lord, and I confess that I true of the Christ, the Son, the living God, who came into the world to save sinners, that from my first, uh, that I'm not going to reveal who you are like Judah, like that kind of aspect that's all tied into that time where the church uh, was underground, basically. So some of those things get moved around. Later, what happened with sponsors is it starts becoming almost like, um, like the godfather. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a little bit more like that in the sense of like, there's canons that are specifically about uh, the children. They're like spiritual kin, basically. If you're godparents or like you're related to, then the children of those families, they're not allowed to marry because they see that as being uh, inappropriate relations between the families. 
we're in the new world that, that's not as much of a thing because we're talking about like villages and families that you know it would actually be a thing a problem <laughs> but it's become less of a thing so there is a sense in which uh <laughs> You don't need to become besties with your sponsor, is what I'm really trying to get at. There's been different roles that this has played in. Uh, it's very different with a baby. We have a sponsor, right? The baby, you, you are saying, we're going to teach, we're going to raise, I'm going to pray, right? I'm going to kind of speak in their stead because they can't say, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty. They just are kind of crying, uh, especially after you baptize them. Uh, so that is what I'm saying is you can choose somebody that you aren't bosom mates with and it's it's fine does that make sense so this is somebody that you had coffee hour with or you talked to a few times and if not then I'll just choose somebody for you okay. that I think would match and like that you would get on with basically that I also know as a faithful Orthodox Christian that is something in general that you go back to you know that first document that we covered, I think I just talked about this two or three weeks ago, but uh, I don't always know who's always present or some come and go, just life, right? Uh, to go back and revisit that Hopko document, uh, that is a summation of kind of what we're doing and what we're focused on, right? Uh, the reading of the Gospels, for example, like slowly choose one of the Gospels and read through it. We're coming up on Lent where uh, we have in our lectionary uh, throughout the week, we have Genesis, uh, Proverbs, and Isaiah is the Old Testament readings that we do through Lent. Uh, so, there you get There's a, an avenue through the Old Testament. Uh, I like to choose like one of those books and kind of like be really specifically dedicated to that through Lent, and then choose the next one. Like last year, I preached all pre-sanctified liturgies basically about Proverbs, and I would just choose themes from Proverbs and particular Proverbs to preach out of. Uh, it kind of feeds and you're actually reading through the stuff and then preaching. It's nice to have accountability <laughs> built in, right? But like to then read Isaiah uh, or to read Genesis and kind of see the arc of the fall, the effects of the fall, all of that, because that's what Lent is doing, right? You get kind of history, then you get wisdom literature, and then you get prophetic. Uh, messianic, right? You get it all three cored through Lent. Are you planning to preach all from one of them this Lent as well? I should have said that. <laughs> I might just do Proverbs again. I really enjoy doing Proverbs because Proverbs... Because, I mean, think about the challenge. Like, every Sunday morning, I get this is the pericope every single Sunday, right? And then you get the epistle. And the epistle is also thematic for this Sunday, which is basically watch what you're eat, as in, like, don't eat in such a way as to make somebody else stumble, right? He's talking about idols and meat sacrificed to idols, but very obviously there's an analog here, like, keep your eyes on your own plate. Don't worry about what you're doing, but also don't be um, profligate about what you're doing. Um, we're not all, uh, who is it? One of the fools for Christ. Uh, I think I mentioned this. Uh, who is the bad czar? Well, which one? Which one am I talking about? <laughs> <coughs> Ivan the Terrible. He's coming into St. Basil's there in the Kremlin. And you have this fool for Christ who's sitting there. I think it's Holy Week. And he's like roasting sausages on the, like the steps outside of the cathedral. And... You know, Ivan's just like, what are you doing? It's, you know, it's not only is it Lent, but it's Holy Week. And he's like, yeah, 
that you kill people willy nit like basically like yeah but you're slaughtering people so I'll eat my sausage that was like his prophet like there was a prophetic statement to him we're not fools for Christ in that way right like maybe there is a time where you like need to because there's something going on in your family anyways talk to me first that would probably be helpful uh, <laughs> but uh, where is that going oh um I, I highly suggest Lit is this time, and I know it can seem, especially the first time through, it can seem like a lot. Uh, because it is. There is a lot. Uh, find what can be an equilibrium or some kind of median road where you are taking on new things. Because a lot, all of this is, for most of you, just completely new, period, right? So take on what you can actually do that would be fruitful. Uh, you're not a monk who grew up in the church who's been in the monastery for 10 years and the meals are all prepared by the cook and you see that like it's all laid out what your life is so if you ha- if you go to a meal at somebody's house and they offer you cheeseburgers thank god you got a cheeseburger right <laughs> eat it don't say like mm, I can't do that right uh, I'm fasting <laughs> and draw attention to yourself right <laughs> yes, the holiness, you know, the light is streaming forth from you. But the whole point of Lent, as I was referencing in the homily, all of these practices and things that we do are all helpful things, right? But that doesn't replace the main drive of what this is. And the love for God is, for us, is always going to be expressed through repentance. Because we realize that there's a gap <laughs> between us and him. And he is always present. He's closer to us than we are to ourselves. But we are usually the ones in the pigsty with the eyes that can't see, hearts that are hard, you know, all the metaphors, right? So we need these things. St. Ignatius Branchinov talks about asceticism as being the preparation of the ground to receive the seed. Because you, right, you go back to the parable, right? You need, if you are fully satiated all the time, all you do is stare at your phone, uh, just all of these things, you know how you are. You're not really who you really want to be. (laughs) You're not your true self. I I mean, like, using that language, but I'll use that language and mean, like, in the image of God, right? Like, not be who you, you know, you know what I'm talking about. All the ads on Instagram. Uh, (laughs) That requires work. Friendships, relations, all these require work, attention, like some kind of structure of what you're going to do. So the church says, here's structure. <laughs> this is what uh, Israel even did, right? There's times they fasted. There's times they feasted. There's times they did these things. So one of the great uh, entries into uh, Lent that the church gives us is the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete, uh, which is done in the first week of Lent. And then uh, it happens again uh, now I'm forgetting which week. It's the week where we do the life of St. Mary of Egypt, uh, where we read her life interspersed with also uh, the canon of St. Andrew. So uh, you have selected Treparia from the great canon, uh, but I'm just going to talk about St. Andrew a little bit uh, and the canon itself. Um, because from the canon itself, when people ask about the Orthodox Church and what we believe, you can say like, well, okay, the Bibles and the, the Bible, the Fathers, etc. But one of the great sources where you can tell exactly what the Church believes and teaches is you look at our hymnody. 
you look at our services because the services themselves will teach you and tell you what we believe. Uh, this is obvious if you had a pre-printing uh, press era. Most people aren't sitting around with, uh, you know, scrolls. <laughs> it was a year's worth of labor, if I remember correctly. The money that you would get in a year, a typical laborer would get in a year to get a gospel. Right? And this is John Chrysostom's time. And John Chrysostom is still saying, like, you still need to get a gospel. Like, this is something that you should save up for to be able to read the gospel at home and talk about it. Uh, yes? I can't hear you. We need one more copy? Yes. <coughs> Do you want one now? No, it's okay. You've done it enough. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, about twenty-five years. Of, yeah. there, there you go. So, um, one thing I want to say before we jump into this: get yourself to church during Lent. Okay, this this means simplify. I highly suggest. I spent a while a year ago or so writing up that email about Lent, where I'm trying to basically kind of frame all of the various practices and kind of what we're turning to with Lent. Uh, one of those things is simplicity. Freeing up your time, uh, cutting out extraneous, extra decadent things that you don't actually need uh, in order to be able to free yourself up to come to some services. Uh, I'm gonna, the, to parents, this is something I usually do and probably one of the weeks, well, nights of the, the Great Canon Chelsea and I, I'll ask Father Stephen to serve, and I'll stay home with the kids so Chelsea can come by herself to be able to hear it, uh, to be able to participate, because otherwise, I'm doing the service and she's got the kids to wrestle. So that might be a suggestion, for example, for parents, if you're just like, how the Bojangles are we supposed to do this, right? Uh, there's a suggestion, right? I'm going to, this, I will live stream these things. Is it the same as being a person? No. Is it better than nothing? Yes. Should you just stay home all of it and watch the live stream? No, because I won't bring you into the church when we come to Lazarus Saturday, okay? Uh, I'm serious, like, I, part of the reason the catechumenate and this experience as long as it is so that you marinate and that you know what you're getting yourself into. Because I have seen folks baptized, chrismated, they're in the church, and then like five months later, they're just like, peace out, toodles. I didn't really like fasting anyways. I'm like, well, <laughs> nobody likes it. <laughs> yes. Which is the exact week that you suggest coming to the service during the day? So there, there aren't services really during the day as much. It's all in the evening. The Great Canon will be served at 6.30 Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday evening on the first week of Lent. So it's not this week, but it's the next week. The week coming up. Yes. Not not this like not this month not tomorrow, <laughs> but next Monday, because next week we're not going to have catechism class because after we do coffee hour probably twelve thirty since we already have it as the catechism time we will start vespers which is then where we will transition like I will go from gold to black vestments uh, we'll change out the analogian covers from gold to purple uh, and we end the vespers. Uh, in Lent, we move into Lent, so the tones, the singing goes into Lenten tones, uh, minor keys basically, uh, and we will end the service by asking forgiveness from each other, mutual asking forgiveness. Uh, that means, I'll, I'll explain it when we get to that point, what you need to do. Yes? Did you resend a long email we were talking years ago? It's in the email that just went out this past week. 
if you click on it, it'll open up to the former email. Right. <laughs> Updated to this year. So, uh, the Great Canon is put into uh, Great Compline. Uh, St. Andrew of Crete is from the 7th century. Uh, he was uh, joined the monastery of St. Sab outside of Jerusalem at 15. He's contemporary with St. John of Damascus. Uh, I didn't know that we we're going to do a theme of 7th century Syrian saints, but here we are. Uh, his intelligence and holiness were evident. Uh, he became a secretary to the patriarch. Uh, he was a representative of the Sixth Ecumenical Council, and eventually he became the Bishop of Crete. Uh, so he is someone uh, within the church uh, that had a, a, a large experience of the church, monasteries, churches, uh, synodal life, etc., the Great Canon itself uh, starts towards the beginning of Great Compline, and it is, uh, in many ways, uh, we'll talk about Lent this, as the school of repentance, and the Canon is one of these uh, great classes within that school of repentance, uh, because the entire point of Lent is it's a transformative journey, and part of that aspect of uh, that transformative journey, I'm going to tell you right now, if you've never done Lent, and I mean that like in the Orthodox, right? Not just kind of Lent where you had some themes and then you ended up with the Tritium at the end. But like the way Orthodox go through it with the intensity that Orthodox do. Uh, at some point, usually at the halfway point, it's not when it happens, but about the fourth or fifth week, which is part of the reason why there's a few more services and an uptick because experience tells, everyone starts going... <laughs> <laughs> burger <laughs> right like or that or or more subtly like my anger is why am i so, like you you can tell that there's stuff that is coming out or resentment like all of these things so be prepared especially as preparing as you are to be received into the church for struggles that you might have that intensify struggles that you've never had that suddenly come out of nowhere uh, things to trip you up, etc. Okay, this is part of the prep. What it means to be in the catechumenate is there can be an intensity that is there that you haven't experienced before. So, uh, I don't want to spend too much time because you've never, no, none of you have actually experienced the canon at all, right? Okay, so I was going to start talking about uh, parts of the of Compline and canon, how it works together, but let's not do that because you won't even know what I'm talking about. All right. The one of the things about the canon is when we think of repentance, there is that individual aspect to it, right? Uh, this runs into things like uh, why do I need to confess to a priest, for example? That's one way in which that can come out. Uh, and there is obviously you are the one who is responsible, right? Like you are the one who needs to repent. But what happens in Great Lent, the school, is that we're all on this journey together. So we come together for the canon, and there's a church or ecclesial, to use another word that basically just means churchy, right? There's a churchy dimension to this, that uh, the canon can be read privately, but it's for us to do it together. Uh, and you'll see how interesting that is because the language of the canon, we'll read here just a few of these, I'll go back and forth between these selected triparia. There's 250 triparia for the canon. Okay, it's split up over the night, so we don't do 250 triparia every single night, okay? Uh, just so you know. <laughs> uh, but you get in this canon this personal language where we're doing this together, right? I have sinned 
uh, and it's all very familiar language to you because some of it is obviously kind of liturgical uh, aspects of our repentance. So let's uh, read some of these first. Uh, the fall slash garments of skin, the carnal mind. You see that? It has those, these traparia from it. Having rivaled the first formed Adam by my transgressions, I have found myself stripped naked of God, of the everlasting kingdom and all of its delights because of my sins. Uh, going to the next one. I have stained the garment of my flesh and have defiled that which was made in thine image and likeness, O Savior. I have clothed myself in the torn robe that the serpent hath spitefully stitched for me by his counsel, and now I am ashamed. In the place of the physical Eve, the temptation of Eve hath taken flesh in my mind, showing me what seems to be sweet, but making me taste and swallow bitterness. I have darkened the beauty of my soul with passionate pleasures, and have turned my whole mind entirely to dust. You can see all of this, we're, we're in Genesis, right? Mo a lot of Monday night, we're, we're just in the first three chapters of Genesis for most uh, of Monday night. You can tell all those little, uh, in the parentheses, M, oh, it's Monday, Ode 1, Monday, Ode 2, okay? Um, you can see here how there's a presumption of a lot of Bible, right? That you are familiar enough with the story that you're familiar of. That it's not going to be. Uh, there's one of these that I found uh, online that had all of the references that are being made scripturally. But some of these are even a little bit more uh, nuanced. For example, this one: I have clothed myself in the torn robe that the serpent has spitefully stitched for me by his counsel. That's an interesting way to talk about it. What happens when they're when Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden? Put clothes on. God gives them clothes, right? So it's this interesting um, uh, way in which uh, they're already, the, the serpent has prepared this um, tattered garment for me to wear instead of what I'm actually supposed to be wear, wearing. Uh, and it's, it's made me ashamed. Um, in the place of physical Eve, the temptation of Eve hath taken flesh in my mind. Showing me what seems to be sweet, but making me taste and swallow bitterness. Does this sound like John of Damascus? Right? I'm given some kind of pleasure that said, this is going to fulfill you. <laughs> You're going to be like God. Nope. <laughs> Missing an element there. So I put here next to it these, kind of how I would categorize the deceitfulness of sin, how it uh, kind of get clothed in it, how my mind can be darkened and the beauty of my own soul. You can see all of these aspects of like garment, robe, uh, the beauty of my soul and how I trade it all out for rags. Right? Yes? Yeah, the expression has taken flesh in my mind. I'm trying to get that. <laughs> The temptation of Eve hath taken flesh in my mind. I think what it is is that in, in looking at something, I'm sure it's a bad translation, so there's that. Uh, I'm sure the meaning behind it, and I'd have to look at the Greek, not that that would help me entirely that much, but I can at least get most of the vocab out of it, uh, is that she has a carnal mind. I think Paul here. So reading this text, uh, it has to do that Eve d saw the fruit and desired it with a carnal mind or the flesh of the mind instead of in the spirit. Yeah. Like the spirit would say no, because God said no. <laughs> That's a boundary, right? I'm not going past that boundary. 
So this, we are doing all of this together. And what's fascinating about this is we are putting ourselves in the place of Adam. We are Eve. We are, you're going to see Jacob. We are Abraham. We are David. We are, right? That is how all of this is going to go. We keep reading some of these. Uh, so is this the events of salvation history in a, in a kind of particular way, we relive all of them. We, we sin like Adam. We sin like Eve. We sin like David. We sin like Abraham, right? So Father Alexander Schmidman says, the events of sacred history are revealed as events of my life. God acts in the past as acts aimed at me and my salvation. That doesn't negate David, Abraham, all of them, they didn't really exist. This is all just kind of a dream in my mind, right? But what it's saying is, all of these examples, I recapitulate them, right? I sin exactly like them. And I need to see them and that event for myself, right? The fall was once the fall of Adam, and the fall is now the fall of the soul. So Adam falls, but all of us recapitulate this fall, right? Um, let's continue with some of these uh, chaparia. Uh, the self-will autonomy. Now I am clothed with a raiment of shame, as with as if with fig leaves, in reproof of my self-willed desires. So now I'm clothed. Uh, our, you know, I willed something, but I don't really get what I want. Now I just walk around in shame because I did get actually what I want. Now I am clad in a coat of disgrace that is shamefully bloodstained by the flow of my passions and my pleasure-loving life. Having preferred a life of pleasure and material things to a life free of possessions, I have been harnessed with a heavy burden of Savior. I have adorned the idol of my flesh with the diverse clothing of my shameful thoughts, and now I am condemned. O oh, my miserable and wretched soul, imitate the righteous and chaste mind of Joseph, and do not defile thyself by continuing to indulge thy wanton and irrational desires. Skillfully hast thou planned to build a tower, O oh my soul, and to fortify it with thy passions, but the Creator hath confounded thy designs and has dashed all thy devices to the ground. What is that a reference to? Babel, right? The Tower of Babel. It doesn't say the Tower of Babel, but how often are we trying to build our own tower, <laughs> on our own, doing whatever we're going to do? So you can see uh, through this, there is all of these, we're, we're singing this. This is like taking John of Damascus, what we've gone through, and now we're singing it and we're participating it. And we're also, uh, there's different practices, but... Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, is the refrain after all of these traparia. And it's done over and over again. And there's typically either, you know, a deep bow, or there's some who do prostration at every single traparia. Okay? So, you are physically uh, not only singing or participating in that way, hearing the traparia, but you're also doing prostrations or you're doing matanyas, thinking about the ways in which... Uh, my suggestion is to let these things kind of flow and if one particularly you know sticks out to you have that like put that in your mind let it be there for a while Father Thomas Hopko uh, says this is specifically in the way in which uh, the great canon operates uh, standing before God, one does not look at others, 
one looks only at God, but in this mystical moment, this instant of lucid insight concerning the meaning of all things in the pers- perspective of the unique soul before its master. So all of us are d- repenting together, but there's still this kind of interiority of ourselves together, but individually also repenting, right? Uh, the spirit can only cry out in all integrity and conviction, I have sinned as no other. In my unique personality and the life which my maker has given to me, with what I have received from my bountiful Lord, I have truly surpassed all in my sins. Each person will feel this. Each soul will be convinced of it. No rational analysis or logical deduction that is patently absurd will make any difference. A hundred people at the very same service, and thousands, even millions across time and space, will be fully convinced that this is true for them alone, and it is. So what Father Thomas is pointing out is uh, there is a rhetoric to this particular service where you're saying, I am worse, this goes back to like what Paul says, I'm worse then, and you're going to see this, like, I'm worse than David, I've sinned worse than uh, Abraham, I've sinned worse. These are all things in which, uh, this is not to throw you into despair, this isn't to make you despondent, this is to reverberate through your, and you, for you to actually see yourself in the particularity of the sin that you have done, and it's only you who has sinned like that against those persons or whoever, right? Like, that that is an insight uh, that the canon and gives over and over again, right? So let's move to this uh, priestly duties, some of the triparia. Like Cain, O my wretched soul, my offering to the creator of all has been filthy deeds, a polluted sacrifice, and a worthless life, and like him I now stand condemned. While Aaron offered to God a fire that was pure and undefiled, Hophni and Phinehas brought to him, as didst thou, O my soul, a strange sacrifice and a polluted life. Imitate Melchizedek, the priest of God and solitary king who is the image of Christ among men in the world. So you might be thinking, all of these are just going to be like, I'm, I'm a piece of crud, <laughs> I'm a piece of crud. It's not just that. It will intersperse. And even in the setting of Great Compline, uh, you have, uh, was it, were most of you here for a theophany or, or a Christmas that God is with us, understand all you people and submit yourselves for God is with us. God is with us. That is around this canon. So you get this canon, this like this like punch in the gut, but the rest of Compline is about how God is with us. <laughs> how right? So you have to hear God is the judge, but he's also our crucified Lord. So these images work together to bring out of us repentance and to draw us to him. Alright, I've been talking a lot. Does anybody have any questions? Could I make an observation? Sure. One one thing that that, uh, that that you note in this is there's a lot of imagery in there about about your garment, about how you sold your garment, or how that you're now wearing fig leaves, or you're 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 wearing a you, you, you destroyed what what God has blessed you with, and um, like a, you know for those of you who are baptized, like right coming coming right out of the font, one of the first things that, that we do is is, is your, your clothes, you clothe the new baptismal garment. You know, clothe, clothe me with a with a garment of righteousness. So thou who is who is clothed, uh, clothe the uh, the earth as with a garment of yeah. And, uh, and 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 we're asked to keep that garment clean. But then we're gonna we're gonna mess up. And so that's why you go to confession, which is the dry cleaner the Father was talking about. <laughs> and that's and it and it's to it's to realize, hey, this this thing is soiled. I need to clean this again. 
all of these themes come so there it's strong uh here but especially when we get to to holy week the the the, the bridegroom matins right behold the bridegroom comes at midnight blessed art thou okay i can't remember it off the top of my head unless i start singing it and i'm not singing it right now. <laughs> but the themes even the parables i was talking about that are right before matthew 25 with the judgment scene that, that christ is talking about the parable of the talents the parable of uh, the foolish virgins the ten the, the wise and foolish virgins all of these are the the images and the language that get, get picked up closer to holy week because we are supposed to be moving with him towards the cross but we're like the apostles we want to scatter we can't stay awake right we're going to fall asleep uh, we aren't ready or we reject the cross, right? Get behind me, Satan, to Peter. <laughs> so uh, these themes that we get picked up here in the great canon of St. Andrew because they're just Bible themes, they're going to be with us throughout all of Lent. Okay? Yes? I understand what a canon is, but when you say this is the great canon of St. Andrew, is it specifically canonized writings of this particular saint, and are there other great canons, or just one? I love your practical questions. All right, so it has nothing to do with being a canonized saint. Canon is a structure, a form of um, music, basically, or traparia. So, uh, if you come to uh, vigils, when we do for great feasts, in Matin, we're almost always reading a canon, which is usually about the feast. Not usually. It is about the feast. Uh, if we were doing vigil, like a typical practice, uh, on a Saturday evening, we would, if we did vigil, we would have a canon to the resurrection, maybe a canon to the Theotokos, and a canon to the saint that's being commemorated. That they are, and they're like, in Greek, they also might have like fun acrostic stuff going on. Like they, there's things that we miss because we don't speak Greek. And they have like little jokes and they have like, uh, how should I say this? So for example, Basil the Great, they love to make a big deal that Basil means king, right? Gregory means like vigilant. So they will, throughout you'll see like, why do they keep talking about Basil as a king? He wasn't a king, he was a priest, he was a bishop. So I get, it's because his name is Basil, right? So the royal priesthood, they're like, yeah, I get to play around, right? Like, uh, just like if you know Hebrew, you know in the Psalms and other parts in Hebrew, there's some funny <laughs> things that are going on in the Hebrew that they're drawing your attention to something by using words that are really similar to each other. The Greeks are doing the same thing. So canons are actually, the reason why it's the great canon is because there's 250 traparia. There's usually like 30. Okay, so it's great because it's massive. So megos. <laughs> so that's, that's why it's called the great canon. So we have the Paschal Canon. There's a canon for Nativity. The Paschal Canon is what we'll be singing at Matins. Uh, and that's usually when the priest and the deacon are going around sensing and Christ is risen and other stuff. So it's a little bit more active. But the canons are usually uh, written by particular saints, uh, hymnographers. Um, the Paschal Canon, for example, is stitched together a whole lot of homilies from Gregor the Theologian. So images of like... Uh, the beast being hooked and uh, being drawn out because that's how Christ basically conquered the devil he's like the devil didn't understand what was and he swallows him to kill him but Christ is actually the divine hook of justice that <laughs> frees everyone who is trapped in the monster basically that's one of those images great question any other questions like that 
Because I assume, this is probably, I don't know what you do or don't know because I assume a bunch of stuff because I don't know what you don't know. So ask questions because I'll just like, blah, 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 right over it. Okay? Yeah. And so we'll, we'll hear the, these Traparia. I'll, re- I'll be the one reading the Traparia. And then when when else throughout Lent is it? Weekday services, uh, the first. Yes, this is dedicated to the first week and then one Thursday evening in the fifth week, if I remember correctly. Gotcha. It might be the fourth week. I'm pretty sure it's the fifth week. Second to last, yeah. Yeah. And yes. the Traparia is what specifically? The Traparia is what we've been reading the, these. Like these stanzas. Yes, yes. Traparia basically, oh, I forget the exact what Greek, the Greek means. I'll have to, I think it means something like garland or something like they're basically they're just little hymns basically and they usually get interspersed with other things so I'll say my body is corrupt my spirit is defiled and I'm covered with sores but as physician O Christ heal both my body and my spirit through my repentance wash me purify me and cleanse me O Savior and make me whiter than snow have mercy on me O God have mercy that, then, they'll be, then the choir will be singing and then I'll say thou hast offered thy body and thy blood for the sake of us all crucified word Thy body to renew me, thy blood to cleanse me. Thou hast given up thy spirit, O Christ, to bring me into thy Father. Have mercy on you. So, that's how it works. You see here, uh, when we get to Wednesday, we've we've gotten to Christ and how He offers Himself to to cleanse us, to renew us, to give us the Spirit, to bring us to the Father. Throughout throughout the end of all of these odes, so. A canon is nine odes that were historically based off the biblical odes. Uh, the Song of Moses, for example, uh, Hannah's song, right? Uh, Daniel, well, you didn't have this in pro- the Protestant Daniel, but there is a whole hymn that's in the Greek Daniel uh, that is basically uh, the three youths saying uh, basically a victory song while they're burning. They're not burdened, but they're in the flames, right? Uh, so the nine odes are based off of those, uh, the nine canticles, which uh, I don't want to get into liturgical history too much here, but basically it's structured in, we do nine different odes. Every canon is basically nine odes. Thou hast worked salvation in the midst of the earth, O compassionate Lord, so that we might be saved. Thou was voluntary inclusion voluntarily crucified upon the tree and Eden has been opened once again all creation both things above and things below and all the nations have been saved and they praise and worship thee so it's not just I'm worse than everybody else there is also turning towards Christ so it's like the Old Testament stories you kind of move through Old Testament history and then you hit Christ and then you'll even uh, move into New Testament stuff even I'll say beyond Christ but you know early church stuff May thy blood that flows from thy side be a cleansing font for me, and may the water that flows with it be a drink of forgiveness. May I be cleansed by both a word anointed and refreshed, having as chrism and drink thy words of life. Uh, another set that I put here of Traparia is the virtuous ascent. So this is like John of Damascus, right? And we're going to come up on one of the Sundays of Lent is John of the Ladder, which is uh, a classic work of uh, St. John Climacus from uh, Mount Sinai, from St. Catherine's, the monastery there. Uh, he has uh, the book called The Ladder of Divine Ascent, which was uh, in Orthodox monasteries throughout the world. Uh, while they are eating, basically, uh, they are going to be reading from them uh, The Ladder of Divine Ascent. 
you can buy The Ladder of Divine Scent. There are, are translations uh, out there. There's even a PDF of it that's floating around. Uh, there's even like a lectionary breakdown of like when to read The Ladder of Divine Ascent because that's how they do it in the monasteries. Uh, I don't suggest this first Lent that you read The Ladder of Divine Ascent. Uh, maybe in a few years, come talk to me. Okay? All right. Let's read through some of these last ones and then we'll uh, finish up with some other themes. The latter scene of old by the great patriarch Jacob is an example of my soul, both of ascent through action and of ascent through spiritual understanding. If, therefore, it is thy desire to live by thy works with understanding and contemplation, be thou made new. So, praxis, or theoria in the Greek, uh, is the action and the spiritual understanding, right? Uh, we contemplate God, but we also have to act, right, in accordance with what we understand. And so the, St. Andrew sees the ladder of that patriarch Jacob. Remember that story? He falls asleep and he sees a ladder and angels descending and ascending on the ladder, which is then echoed later uh, in the Gospel of John, right? You'll see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Uh, you have, uh, this is seen as in order to ascend that ladder to go up into heaven, one needs to have right action and spiritual understanding. Okay. By the two wives, I love this one. <laughs> By the two wives, understand that one is action and the other is spiritual understanding and contemplation. Leah represents action, for she had many children. And Rachel, spiritual understanding, for she endured great toil. For without labor, O my soul, neither action nor contemplation will succeed. Does anybody remember this story? Yeah. Can somebody tell me what the story is? Yeah. It's uh, Jacob. Whenever he went to his uncle's house, Laban fell in love with his fell in love with the younger daughter, Rachel, and made a deal with Laban to work seven years for her hand in marriage. But whenever the wedding feast came, uh, Jacob was got drunk, and the Laban substituted in his older daughter to on the on the wedding bed. And for, he realizes it the next morning. He realizes it the next morning after he's married to Leah, and then has to work an extra seven years for right so andrew takes that story and he says okay we're not going to be in that situation right <laughs> so what are we going to do with it so what he reads is leah represents action she had many children uh he's, he's encouraging to the uh basically theological ascetical reading of the scriptures right so that there's labor involved uh, praxis is necessary, but really the desired thing is spiritual understanding. That's where it's put. Praxis is necessary, and spiritual understanding is actually what is the eros that you really need. They're kind of what I was talking about today. You need frustrations. You need all these things, but that's not going to replace the desire for God and the love that's supposed to come from it. Yes. Also, Jesus with Mary and Martha. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yep. They just, what the fathers do is they take what Paul talks about allegorical reading of, of scripture, right? In Galatians, right? You not come to the mountain, right? Or um, Abraham's uh, wife and, um, what's the word? Concubine, it was more like the maiden, right? Maidservant. Uh, Hagar, right? And Paul has a whole interpretation of that, right? So the fathers are doing the same thing when they come to the text. They see Leah and Rachel, and they want to give you something 
positive to get out of it instead of like, this is an interesting story. He got duped. He had to work 14 years. Right? So, do not be like Ephraim, stung to madness like a stampeding calf of my soul, but rather save thy life like a gazelle fleeing from the snare on the wings of action, resolve and contemplation. Elijah once ascended above all earthly things in the chariot of his virtues as if to heaven. Meditate then, O my soul, on this ascent. Elisha took up the mantle of Elijah and received a double portion of grace from the Lord. But thou, O my soul, hast not, no share in this grace because of thine uncontrolled desires. Watch, O my soul, and take courage like the great patriarch Jacob of old, that thou mayest acquire action with spiritual understanding and be named Israel, the mind that sees God. And so shalt thou penetrate the impassable darkness through contemplation and obtain a great treasure as thy reward. Arise, O my soul, and make war against the passions of the flesh, as Joshua did against Amalek, ever gaining the victory over the Gibeonites, thine evil thoughts. So, that last line, and especially, this is often the Father's, uh, this is one of those questions about, what about war in the Old Testament? And the Father's uh, basically do is they interpret it very often as a spiritual warfare. So um, the Gibeonites here are not actual Gibeonites that you're supposed to go out and fight, right? They're your evil thoughts. Uh, you remember the psalm, it's actually, if I remember correctly, it's the last line of the psalm that we sang at priest communion. Uh, bash the heads of the, the children against the rocks. One thirty-seven at Psalm one thirty-seven. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? That maybe that was that part of the Psalms that you didn't uh, read. But if you're reading the whole Psalter, you're going to come across that and be like, "Whoa!" <laughs> Maximus, say Maximus in the east, Benedict in the west. They all say that's to go back to remember when we we're talking about the progression of thoughts. That the babies being smashed against the rocks. That is evil thoughts as they begin to destroy them. That is how the fathers interpret the text. So, you're getting an introduction in all of this to how the fathers read scripture. So, not only is it a personal repentance or move of repentance, but it's also showing you how to read scripture, right? To actually get something out of it instead of like, this is a nice history lesson. Now I know about Israel's captivity and whatever, right? I don't know about you guys. That was a lot of how, when I was growing up, the Old Testament was just like, the best that we can get out of this is that Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife. Like, <laughs> other than that, it's like, what do you do when uh, Moses' wife throws the foreskin down at his feet? It's just like, you're a bloody man. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> now you know that. That, that there is, uh, I'm not going to give you a spiritual interpretation of that. Mm-hmm. My head have to go and look at the text. Shouldn't use that example, but you get. But the fathers would take something like that, and you'll find they they will interpret it in such a way as to impress upon us the need to obey God. <laughs> Otherwise, right? Abraham should have done that already. He wait. He was being lazy and not doing what he needed to do. Uh, for example, so uh, the sense of sin that we get from the canon is more than just kind of like infractions. So the unfamiliar imagery, the biblical figures, and shocking statements of the great canon. There's, I didn't put as many shocking statements, but just some of the, the strength that can be behind some of the traparia. 
They serve precisely to rouse us to attend to truths we have ignored or forgotten as we settle into being good Christians. We think of our sins as isolated acts that stem from our weakness and our emotional maladjustments. The simplifications of the positivists reduce sin to ignorance. So this is uh, certain Christians where they're basically like, the problem with sin is that we just don't know enough. So we just need to teach people more things. Well, I don't know about you. I know quite a bit of things. That is not, that is a tool in the toolkit, but that doesn't stop me from sinning just because you know something. It helps, but it doesn't, it's one of the tools, right? Uh, or that crime uh, to the influence of just the social environment, or evil is just imperfection, or eschesis, <laughs> I'm quoting from something, it's just hygiene, right? Like, <laughs> uh, that's what real eschesis is, is making sure that we're prim and proper, right? Uh, the notion of sin gets no hearing today. One does not know anymore what it means. If there is no sin, there is no need to repent. And consequently, the great canon can appear as an archaic, exaggerated, and negative liturgical leftover. But it's not. <laughs> it is uh, underlining for us what the tragedy is for us to not become saints. Uh, it is underlining for us uh, ways in which uh, we need to attend to our souls, uh, to really see ourselves. So here is... This is some other traparia that I have that is that you don't have. Sorry. Uh, I alone have sinned against thee, and I have sinned above all men. O my Christ, O Christ, my Savior, spurn me not. There is no one who has sinned among men whom I have not surpassed by myself. There has never been a sin or act or vice in life that I have not committed, O Savior. I have sinned in mind, word, in choice, in purpose, will, and action, as no one else has ever done. Here's Andrew again. David once joined sin to sin, he writes, for he mixed adultery with murder. Yet he immediately offered a double repentance. But you, O my soul, have done things more wicked than he without repenting to God. I say, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't committed adultery. Think about the Sermon on the Mount for a minute and then get back to me. <laughs> Christ became man and called to repentance, robbers and harlots. Repent, O oh my soul. The door to the kingdom is already open and the transformed Pharisees, publicans, and adulterers are entering into it ahead of you. So one of the things uh, about this canon that... And it's something that I've realized partly in being a priest coming up on five years is the Orthodox Church doesn't pull punches about things and it's very in your face in a certain way, right? Uh, this is not a temptation, uh, should not become an occasion for despondency. It could be a temptation to despondency. Uh, but sin in our life is not uh, to be identified with our, like, I'll say this again, like our true self. Like, who, uh, it is something, it's that garment that we put on, but it's not something that you are X, right? It's something that you've done. It's something that you're ensnared in. You are worthy. You are loved by God, even if you're messing up, because we're all messing up all the time, right? So this is throughout the canon. I have lost my first created beauty and comeliness, and now I like naked, and I am ashamed. 
My nature is naked, the manner in which I ought to be clothed. Holiness, incorruption, sanctity has been cast aside, that the image of God's very being is no longer visible in me. But what is lost is not destroyed. Just because I've sinned doesn't mean I'm reprobate and cast out into outer darkness. It's that God has uh, sees within me still that image. It's just covered with a bunch of muck. There's St. Andrew again. I have buried with the passions the beauty of the original image, O Savior, but seek now and find it as you found the lost coin. I go into that parable of Christ searching for the lost coin. It's like, that's me. He's searching for me. This is essential. That is what brings our hope in our ascetical life. Because what is buried can be dug up. What is dirty can be washed, right? Just as a man who is naked can be clothed. So, uh... The last thing I want to hit on is that a life of repentance is one of action. A lot of times we think of repentance as being one of conviction or guilt, feeling bad about stuff, uh, or thoughts of how bad I am, but that's not actually repentance. That is having bad thoughts about yourself, right? Uh, repentance is the movement away from that void uh, of sin or whatever we got ourselves messed up in, and we're moving towards God. But it is an actual movement, right? It means, as uh, John the Baptist says, like you have to bear fruit worthy of repentance. There is something that actually has to grow in its place. Uh, if St. Andrew speaks about emotion or feeling in the great canon, it is only in regard to engendering that necessary pinprick of compunction in the heart that stirs it to life, to cause the sorrow of grief to spur us into action. But it is that action of repentance that he dwells on without cessation. He's constantly talking about it. Stagnancy in the spiritual life kills repentance. Those who stand idle or worse, look backwards, are not repenting. They're dying. Okay? Yeah. So by repentance, it's like a change in behavior? Or it's a change in mind. It's a change in heart. It's a change in behavior. But it's not always that easy, right? It's not like, I'm going to stop that. And it's like, I stopped, right? right. Usually it's a, a long, enduring process to get ourselves out of the muck. But yeah, repentance is that actual moving towards Christ. Like, uh, what did the prodigal son do? He came to himself, and then he just sat there. He moved. He went back to the father's house. And even then, what his whole attitude is like, just let me work in washing dishes. <laughs> like that was his attitude. As long as you accept me, right? That is the movement. The canon says, "Do not be a pillar of salt, my soul." Right? Somebody who looks back by turning back. But let the example of the sodomites frighten you and take up refuge in Zoar. Run, my soul, St. Andrew says. Run like Lot from the fires of sin. Run from Sodom and Gomorrah. Run from the flame of every irrational desire. So, repentance is something uh, that... might sound weird to say this, but it's something that we... Okay, this is going to sound weird. We get better at. And what I mean by that is it's something that can mature, that we can... And coming to know ourselves, right? This is one of the great feats, is actually getting to know yourself. This is who I really am. This is the messes. These are the addictions. These are the challenges that I have. And to not lose hope, but to turn to Christ, 
to actually work against those things. So set yourself up for success. I'm not, now I'm going to sound like a, <laughs> a physical therapist or like a personal trainer, right? The, what is this kesis, remember? It's, it's an athletic. It's an athlete. It's one of an athlete for Christ. Uh, there is in this uh, the need to actually attend to your soul. Not just with some good feelings here or there or making yourself feel bad, but it's actually trying to say, like, I'm going to actively work against this particular vice that I have. And usually that means I need to find a virtue that is the opposite of this thing and pursue that. Uh, one of the modern Greek saints, as in, like, he died in the past few decades, <laughs> would talk about we really need to focus on, because like, you could just focus on all the bad stuff, right? But he says, no, we need to focus on Christ. You put yourself towards Christ, faith, hope, love, uh, that is the good stuff. That right? We want we're we're we want to be attracted to honey like bees. This is Saint Paisios, instead of what do flies typically can be attracted to? Dung, right? We don't want to be flies. We want to be honeybees who are going for what's sweet, what's good, uh, what actually gives life, not excrement, right? And sometimes we think we're repenting, and all we're doing is just hanging out in the pigsty. All right, I think I've made that clear. <laughs> Any other lasting questions before we end? There's going to be a point in Lent where you're going to feel like giving up, where you just, you know, shoot me an email or grab me and talk to the side. Uh, or if there's something where you're like, man, I really have tried, I bit off way too much than I can handle. It is better for us to talk and me to say, like, you need to loosen up here a little bit. And maybe that means, like, you need to find some spiritual reading, right? Like, you need to give yourself to this altar. Uh, because this is going to be, you're setting patterns now that hopefully will grow, uh, bring fruit. But you're just beginning. It's okay. This is kind of a marathon. And how do you train for a marathon? You don't run marathons before the marathon, right? It's like once a week do you actually do, like, a hard run. Otherwise, you're just making sure your body is working up to it, right? So, uh, don't despair. You are like, why is he talking about this? I'm like, you'll understand. <laughs> okay? Alright, let's close with prayer. Lord, now let us tell thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to enlighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.